0: as a parent sometimes just sit down and ask your kid, what would you like to tell me about you that would help me be a better parent mm,
1: Yeah, I like that. You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. In today's discussion, we will be viewing the interview with Brandy File. Brandy and I went to high school together 13 years ago, and I recently found out that she was pursuing her master's in psychology to become a clinical psychologist. We reconnected and had a fantastic conversation, so I wanted to have her on the show. One thing I wanted to point out, you may notice if you're watching the video to the show on YouTube, are the butterflies above her head in the office space that she is in, in her home. And I asked her, what was the story with the butterflies painted on the ceiling? So prior to her moving into this home, the family that owned it before were actually foster parents to children in hospice. And so because these children were unable to get out of bed, they were bedridden, they painted the butterflies on the ceiling for them to look at. I wanted to share that backstory with you because it really kind of touched my heart and I thought it may touch yours. So without further ado, here's the interview with Brandy File. All right, Brandy, let's let's do this. So I'm really excited to have you on this show slash podcast. Um, because the conversation that we had several months ago now, a couple months ago, was just amazing. And I'm so glad that you reached out to engage with me on one of the other posts that I posted about a discussion. And uh, we caught up since, I think, 13 years? Yeah, I know, right? It is 13. Oh. 13 years since high school. And uh, so whenever we talked, I was like, you know, I got to know a little bit more about where you are now. And I'm just going to go ahead and call you psychologist because I feel like you've earned it at this point. You're, you're at the finish line. Working towards. Working towards, but you're. I have a
0: license.
1: Yeah, you're close. You're close though. Um, So we have that in common, but in high school, I don't feel like we really, at least I was kind of like in my own little world in high school. So I know we had classes together, but I don't feel like we really knew each other. So when I saw what you were doing with your life now, I'm like, what? Like Brandy's doing that? Wow. (laughs) And by the way, I got to, I got to pull this up. So in our, I think it was our sophomore year. Did you realize that we were like right adjacent from each other in the yearbook? No, I did not.
0: Oh Oh, wow. Oh, that girl needs her hair washed. (laughs) Look at, like, look at my little hunchback. I'm just, like, Oh, you're so, oh, God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so, um, good times, right? (laughs) Two people who had no clue who they were going to be. Oh, God, no, and that's, that's what's so funny is because, You know, when I saw like what you were doing with your life, I I was like, wow, you know, that's not the brandy that I knew in school. And then I'm not the Brittany that I was in school at all. We both have kind of just really, I mean, we've, we've grown so much as people. Um, So I first want to start by just like, tell me, tell me that change. Like, what was that like? How did you go like your transition from high school to where you are now?
0: Um, I got pregnant my senior year. I actually found out the morning of my very last exam. Um, and so no more college, no more any of that. So I started going to RCCC when she was a baby and I had originally wanted to be a nurse. And then I decided that since I had a child, I would just be a teacher and I would have the summers off and it would be wonderful. Um, And then I got pregnant with child number two when she was about a year. She was almost two. Um, And then we picked up and moved to Charleston. And with two small children, you know, that are only two and a half years apart, there's not a whole lot that you can do as far as school is concerned. Um, So I gave up on being a teacher and being a nurse. It was just going to be a stay-at-home mom until they could go to school. And we would figure it out. When Jack started toddling and she went to kindergarten, I started working on my pre-nursing because here you have to do almost two years before you can even get into nursing school. And I was working on that and I was sitting in church one day and the sermon, I don't even honestly remember what the sermon was about, but it was something about life and who we are as people and what purpose is. And... I have it written down in my church notebook, and it was, it was just this feeling. It was the clearest I've ever felt, even if you don't believe in God, the clearest I could have felt even my own spirit talk to me, and it was change major. I'm sorry. I'm almost done. No. Change major. I didn't sleep for a couple of days. Like, I was like, fine, I'll do it. But then I was like, no, I'm so close. I'm almost done. Nursing school starts. Um, and I talked to my husband about it. And we have honestly been together since high school and he has a, faults like we all do, but he kind of just sat there and he was like, no, that makes sense. Are you sure? He said, yeah. What do you have to do to be a psychologist? Like, what do you have to do to be a clinician? And I was like, I have no idea. Lots of research later I learned that you can actually practice with a master's degree. As long as you have an LPC, which is a licensed practitioner clinician. Um, You don't quite make as much as you do with a PhD, but you are fully licensed. You can own your own practice. An LPC is generally who you would go see for your regular kind of group therapy, CBT, anything with its mild to moderate symptomology. You see a licensed practitioner clinician, you don't really see the psychologist. Went to Penn State's world campus, graduated three years ago and started right after that at the Citadel. Um, or two years ago sorry so this will be my second year at the Citadel and I will be done next year Um, it seems like I think COVID has pushed my finish date back a little bit I start practicum in the spring and so I'll get my first patients and hopefully I am prepared Um, I have learned that there is no amount of emotional preparedness that I'm just going to come home tired and that's okay um, but I'm
1: very excited. I mean, I think that's the way it is for any professional service provider when you're working with people, because what we do, our mission, our passion is to help others. And so that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves oh, to yeah. ensure that, that we are doing the best that we can, because we hold ourselves responsible, right? Even though it's up to them to kind of change their life, we're that resource for them so I think just the conversations that we've had, which have just been a few, but I think you're going to do phenomenal.
0: There are moments along your career path where outside of doubt, you have these, cl- these very clear moments of like, no, I'm going to be good at this. I get this. I'm going to transition
1: from there into the topic that oh we kind of stumbled upon. Um, we, we did. Prior... Prior to recording. So as I told you earlier, you know, I started this new business called Generation EQ now, in addition to Catalyst for Change, and it focuses on family and children and bringing emotional intelligence into parenting, right? Yeah. And not being a parent, I feel like you're always going to get criticism from parents because the very first thing is, I'm not going to listen to someone who isn't in my shoes. And I understand that. I get that because I cannot say that I understand everything. However, what I do understand is human behavior and emotional intelligence and how it affects relationships, behavior, anxiety, anxiety. All of these things that you as a parent are not, I'm not talking about you because obviously you have the background, but normal parents are, you're not given a handbook for your children, right? And if being a parent made you an expert about parenting or child development, then why are there so many parents that are neglecting their kids or there's abuse or there's discord in the family or, and I'm not saying that's the majority, right? But there's always things, not just as parents, but as people like myself, that I can do better in life by applying these things, do I get it right all the time in my day-to-day life and in relationships? No, nobody does. And so I'm not trying to present this perfect model that is like, here's a sunshine and rainbows and unicorns like solution to your problem. But I, I do wanna help parents see that you can reduce temper tantrums, you can reduce stress within yourself and your child. I guess foster better communication within the family by applying these strategies. So the reason that I wanted to talk to you about this is two reasons. One, you are a parent of multiple children, and I'm I'm just going to label you as a psychologist because again, you're you're right there. You're in the home stretch. We're
0: there.
1: So you know, I did, and I I've only got feedback from one parent, right? Nobody else has said anything, but I'm sure that other parents feel this way. So I did a review of a video of a YouTube video of a parent and a child having the child was having a temper tantrum. The parent was uh, recording it. And I did an analysis of my observation of those four minutes. And I stated, all I'm observing is what I see. I don't know the situation before or after I'm not judging the parent. I don't know the kid or the parent as a parent but also having a background in psychology, do you feel that someone in my position is unable to assess and provide useful techniques? And and how should I approach that so parents aren't so defensive about it? Because you know, I have their interest in mind, right?
0: I have other people in class with me all the time who are not parents. And one of the things that your general master's degree, or even your doctoral student in psychology learns, is how to help parents be better parents. And they are expected to walk into that clinical space and teach parent how to be a parent when they don't have children. So I don't think you have to be a parent to know how to effectively communicate with another human being. And all a child is is a smaller human being. and I think that's what you're encouraging people to do is to be better at communicating their wants, their needs, and to validate the wants and needs of other people. exactly. And that doesn't make me a bad parent if I don't do that all day every day because I promise I don't validate and hear all day every day. but we as parents sometimes... Do get a little iffy because it feels like a personal attack instead of, hey, this can help you be. I mean, because it would help your advice, would help the woman in her marriage, in her friendships, in her relationships with her parents. Learning better communication and how to advocate for yourself appropriately is not a bad thing, it's just help. And I don't think. Parents especially like to hear that they're doing something wrong.
1: Yeah, you know one thing she mentioned because her and I knew each other way back in the day. We used to work together, and I was not the Brittany that I am now. Back then, mm. and I don't think she thinks I am. Like I think she right. understands that I'm I'm different, right? I have credentials now, but I do believe that many parents see that. And it goes back to what we were talking about before, deletion and distortion. You see what you want to see, you hear what you want to hear. And although I said I'm not judging the parent, I don't know the parent, I don't know what happened before or after, all I'm doing is providing some information. They dismissed that and went straight to you have no right to talk about this because you are not a parent, you're not an expert in this field. And I empathize with that because you're right, I'm not an expert in parenting per se, Uh, And I never said I was, but I, I think those were the words. I think there was emotions behind that. Right. And so um, I don't want parents to see what I'm doing and say, well, you have no right to do this. And all I'm trying to say is I want to help you. I'm trying to help you as a parent have a better connection and relationship with your child because look around you right now. And I'm, I'm not talking to just, you, I'm talking to everybody, like look around and see all of the human discord and misunderstandings and poor communication and poor relationships. And a lot of that stems from how we were raised. I know it stemmed from how I was raised. And we model those same behaviors that we were taught as we become parents. And because it's the norm in our society, we don't realize like there are more effective solutions and strategies to this. But the problem and the reason that I stress emotional intelligence is because I think if we just apply strategies all day long, whenever we are mentally exhausted and whenever um, we're depleted on energy, we're not going to have the tolerance for things like that. And so emotional intelligence kind of helps us mentally process, be aware and self-regulate. So I want you because this interview is about you, not me. But <laughs> I want you to kind of talk about, you know, your experience with, you know, learning about working with children, having your own children, and what you have tried um some techniques that you have applied in parenting that's worked for you, the importance of listening to our kids, the importance of understanding their feelings and teaching them how to understand their feelings so that parents will see what I'm trying to get at, but they're going to hear it from another parent.
0: The first thing, and we were talking about this before we decided to start recording because it is extremely important. I am literally being taught every day how to communicate effectively, how to communicate empathetically when this, when my education is finally finished and I have that big shiny license, I am qualified to do like parent child interaction training and help parents and children do better together. However, many, many times that wonderful piece of information of behavior and behavior modification. And I mean, I say behavior modification then that's, an alarm word for a lot of people, but literally effective ways of helping children modify and implement more positive behaviors. I can tell you how to do it all day long. It tends to fall off when I walk in the door because funnily enough, those people that I gave birth to are people. They are angry. They are sad. They are emotional. They are tired I am angry, I am sad, I am tired, I am emotional. So you take two potentially volatile human beings and you put them in the same space. They have had an exhausting day, I've had an exhausting day and I've asked you 17 times to do the dishes. Am I going to respond with emotional intelligence? Probably not. And I only say that because my patience is gone. However, I am raising emotionally intelligent children, so we have this thing in our house to where if you are having a response that's extreme, if you are upset and crying, if you, I have a 12-year-old girl, so if you are so emotional you can't speak, go to your room. It's not a punishment. You're not in there because I don't want to see you. You are in there to collect yourself. You are in there to collect your thoughts. And then when you're done, you're going to bring them back to me and we're going to try to figure them out together. I also give my children the respect of apologizing when I overreact or when I yell or when I handle the situation poorly because I am human too. And I cannot expect them to apologize and be accountable for their behavior if I will not accept and apologize and be accountable for my own behaviors. And that's kind of the secret to parenting. And I think we forget it. Is that they are no more perfect than we are and we sometimes put standards on our children that we won't even live up to ourselves.
1: And and I understand like whether you're a parent or or not we all have days where our tolerance levels are much lower than normal and we are quick to react versus to think. Um, But I do think it's important for any of us to be armed (laughs) with techniques and strategies. And I think that when it goes a little bit deeper into compassion and understanding, then it's much easier to apply those uh, strategies and techniques, but that takes so much time, right? Like that's a mindset shift.
0: Well, and one of the best things I could ever tell someone, and you're talking about techniques, one of the best things a parent can ever do is have an actual plan. If this behavior occurs, this is my response. And it not only gives parents an automatic something when they're tired, because trying to respond to an angry human being who doesn't want to do their chores, who doesn't want to be respectful, and not knowing what you're going to say is generally where we will mess up. I try very hard to remember my plan of response. I have a very specific plan of response. When these behaviors occur, and like I said, for my preteen daughter, it's go to your room and collect yourself. Your attitude is inhibiting any type of communication right now. I have to be the parent and you get to just stop talking because as a parent, there is an end. There is a no. I am in charge. You cannot communicate effectively with me right now. You're not telling me what you need. You're not telling me what you want. You're not telling me how you feel. Go be by yourself. 30 minutes later, she came down and we had a wonderful discussion about what had made her angry two days ago. So the
1: thing that you said there is like, you're not, you're not talking about how you feel. You're not talking about what happened. You're not giving me anything. But what about when the the child is and the parent is dismissing those? Because again, the video that I was reviewing, the kids screaming, but this, the kid's screaming, listen, mommy, listen, listen, mommy, listen. Although the behavior is not what most parents would consider appropriate, they would say it's ridiculous, you're acting ridiculous, they're not addressing the feelings. And I think that that is so important because we've got to honor their feelings. Even if we think that it is ridiculous, they're having these intense emotions exactly. for some reason. And if they're not willing to talk about it, that's one thing. But if they're saying, listen, listen, I want to talk to you, then that's where I feel like as a parent, and again, I'm not a parent, but I feel like as a parent, I would say, okay, they want to talk. I've got to kind of let my ego be put on the shelf for a second because I want to go send them to the room or I want to quote unquote punish them, but they're wanting to talk. If they're willing to talk, should I not take the time to let them talk,
0: right? Right. We should. I'm also going to say, and not necessarily in this video, but in teaching boundary within my own home, I have taught my children that just because you are also ready to communicate with me does not mean I am in the space to hear you. And even if you are so upset that you can't listen to all of it in that moment, you can find a way to say, I hear that you need to speak to me. Yeah. I am not, I would like time to calm down, let's separate, and we will come back to this when we can sit at the table and talk. I love that.
1: No, I love that because like you said, you may not be ready. The parent may not be in the right state of mind, and they may say something that they shouldn't say, or again, like you said, they may not hear them, like truly hear them. So yeah, I love that, but it's that communication, right? Mm -hmm. It's the communication that's there, and I think that That's a huge part that's lacking in many relationships, whether it's with your best friend, whether it's with a coworker, whether it's with your children, your spouse, we don't always say what we're feeling. Instead, we just project this emotional shrapnel onto others. And then, you
0: know, they didn't do it. And chances are, especially with children, that temper tantrum, it was coming for a while. And outside of very small children. And I say that because small children will react to the drop of a hat. That's just who they are. But when you start getting older children, and especially preteen, what's wrong in this second, what happened right before it is probably not the whole story. There were probably 15 other things that went wrong in your child's day or in your child's week, and you missed them because you're not omniscient. And you can't know everything, but everything that's getting piled on you is the response to everything they've been carrying. And it is exhausting. It's no different than you having a terrible week at work and you vomiting all over your husband because he didn't do the dishes when he said he was going to do the dishes. not any different than we are. They actually just have less control.
1: And I love what you said before, <clears throat> and I can't remember if this was pre-recorded or whether that... Or- pre-recording or in the recording at the beginning, but you were saying no one likes to not be in control, whether you're a kid or you're an adult. And we can see that in our society today. When we're told to do something, there's a lot of pushback versus if we're asked to do something. I remember being a kid, like I don't know how far back you remember, but I remember being a kid and not treated with respect and seen as less than and Granted, you don't have experience like some adults have, you don't have the wisdom that adults have, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the respect of being, like you said, a human being. I think a lot of people overlook that with children and they don't validate their needs and their feelings. They think you have no clue. You think you're upset now. You have no clue what it's like, but in that moment That is their
0: reality. And a lot of people like to say that children just don't know how bad things are. And we'll play a scenario. If I try to make my child eat Brussels sprouts when they're five, there's probably going to be a temper tantrum at some point. Or you're in Walmart and you're in the checkout line and your three-year-old wants candy and you say no, chances are this situation ends with them on the floor screaming and you embarrassed. And we think that's ridiculous. And we think that makes them inappropriate. This country right now is at war over whether to wear a face mask in a store. And people are literally angry and screaming at people. And I'm not going to go on the for or not for. I am just talking about human reaction of 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60-year-olds who are screaming at employees in front of stores because they're getting told to do something they don't want to do. Right. You are not acting any different than that three year old you tell to control their response. Yeah. Absolutely no idea what these feelings really are. Like you have to, you literally have to teach children to recognize their emotions and you have to teach them the slight differences. Anger and frustration are two different things. Feeling uncomfortable is still different than feeling anxious. There are levels, there are Mm-hmm. And no idea what this is. A very broad spectrum. They just know everything is going wrong, and they want to yell about it. Yeah, I don't know an adult human that walks into work and their boss says no to, and they don't feel some giant angry reaction to being told no. Why right. do you expect a toddler or an elementary school kid, or even a teenager? to have a better reaction than you as an adult. Right.
1: And how do you teach people? I keep going back to emotional intelligence, but if you do not have that awareness and how to regulate your own emotions, how do you teach that? Because if you tell them, now I know you said you tell your children to go to their room and think about it, but I'm going to assume based on your background that you've taught them how to process that emotion, not
0: just... Go think about it. So we, we talked to both of them and they're, one of them is 12 and a half and the other is almost 10. And so the recognition of what's actually happening in them is very different. They are also male and female. So we do occasionally interact with the world differently just based on that. He is also, he has ADHD and he's autistic. So recognizing emotions and what created that emotion or what triggered that response, very difficult for him. But we've talked to him a lot about when you go calm down, go calm down and take a breath. I'm big about mindfulness and being in the moment in this space. And we have taught both of them to think about the situation and to pick apart the situation that you were just in and figure out what piece of that caused you to cry. Like what Where did that happen? When did it happen? And what were you thinking about? Because they really don't know. Like, they, when you ask a preteen girl why she's crying and she says, I don't know, it is literally the most infuriating response to hear as a parent. It's absolutely true. They have no idea, none, because they don't have the ability to separate themselves from the situation that's been occurring. And a lot of times, like I said before, What ticked it off this moment is not all of it. There's an iceberg under that ocean and you as a parent have to teach them to dig it out. Exactly. How can
1: we expect parents to teach this if they've never been taught? And that is what I find so challenging. What what I'm trying to do is bring emotional intelligence and understanding into the family because it's, it's going to take the parent to realize and, and kind of let down their guard because I'm not t- attacking anyone. I'm trying to help, but I understand that part of having that lack of awareness is feeling attacked
0: all the time. One of the best ways to teach anyone anything is to model the behavior, take it back to Albert Bandura and modeling and social learning theory And social learning is literally, we learn from the environment around us. And if parents are willing to be a little vulnerable, when your child doesn't do what they're told to do, acknowledge that that makes you angry, because it does. Acknowledge that you were sad that they didn't do, that you were sad they said something that hurt your feelings. Exactly. Children hurt your feelings all the time. They are not nice human beings. They have no filter. Acknowledge it. That wasn't a very nice thing to say. That hurt my feelings. Why would, what made you want to say that to me? It externalizes the behavior from them and it makes it about what they have done to you. And it also, any of their actions become external actions. Like you behaved this way. This is your consequence. You're not a terrible person and you're not a horrible person. Because a lot of times when we're correcting kids, that's what they internalize. They internalize that they're bad. That's not the case. Right. Who are you? And you have done this action. These were the consequences. How do you think you could have done this better? How do you think you could have responded better? And what would you like to do next time so that maybe I don't get angry with you? You don't get in trouble for not doing your chores? How can we? do this better. And it's a team effort. This child raising thing. I don't know why we ever made them feel like they weren't a part of the process. Cause I remember being the child in the room and feeling like my voice didn't matter.
1: Yeah,
0: And I remember feeling helpless. I want my children to trust me to pick them up in the middle of the night when they are in trouble. You don't create children or you don't create teenagers and young adults that do that without creating a five-year-old that's willing to come tell you they spilled their milk without getting yelled at. Right. It, we have to, if you'd like to teach parents about emotional intelligence, lay out those scenarios of if we overreact about these things now, how do we create adults that trust us? How do we create preteens that trust us? I need a preteen that comes to me and tells me this boy is making me uncomfortable. I need a teenager that says, mom, I'm sorry, I'm drunk. It's 2 a.m. Please come get me. I don't build that when they're 15. I build that when they're three.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And going back to, like you said, it's, it starts at an early age. And if we're not listening and I say we're, because one day I'm going to be a parent, you know, it's in the, the near future if we're not listening to them when they're toddlers and we condition them because essentially that's what we're doing. If yeah. I do this, they're going to react this way. And this is the result. I'm going to get in trouble and I'm going to get punished. So I'm just going to like behave however I want and try not to get caught or okay. not talk to mom or dad or whoever the caregiver is. Not only is that like, again, as a teenager, but we see that as adults in our work environment, not taking responsibility for things because we don't want to get in trouble. We have managers that micromanage because of their personal insecurities we have people that push their authority on others and put other people down because they felt like they were suppressed and that, that is a way to build themselves up, right? So like you said, you're, you're not just creating like this little child that stays in your bubble. You're creating an adult that goes out into the workforce that gets married, that has their own kids. And what are you creating if you don't create a safe, loving, understanding, and mindful environment?
0: I also think that when parents hear that, when they hear validate your child's feelings or when they hear talk about it, they feel like that means there's no accountability. You can actually teach a child accountability without screaming and yelling. And you, because, because the consequence, there are consequences for everything that we do. Good, bad, ugly, nice, doesn't matter. There are consequences for our behaviors. The consequences is not, the consequence is not me yelling at you. Right. That's my reaction. That's not the consequence of your behavior. The consequence to stealing a candy bar is like, or stealing something as an adult is that you go to jail. The consequence for you not doing your chores, you don't get your video game time. It's not, it is a known in my house that if you do not meet your expectations, you do not get the rewards that come with doing those things. That's a direct consequence of your action. It doesn't change, it doesn't falter. There are times where my response is different. There are times where I find grace because my child goes, mom, I'm really sorry, I forgot. I will go do it Um, and there's acknowledgement. And I will always, always, always reward acknowledgement. doesn't mean you get out of the consequences, but I do explain to them In this moment, I appreciate you taking responsibility and I appreciate you understanding what you did wrong and how you can fix it. And this time, I'm going to waive the consequence. Let's do the dishes together.
1: I think that's really important because you're teaching them that it's their choices in life that get them to where they are that result in those Mm -hmm. consequences. Because so many kids are like, you're the bad guy. You made me no. I did. You made this choice.
0: Right? I did not do this to you. you right. To
1: yourself. Right. But we we have to explain that better because I think we're teaching them to be defensive as well, right? Because we we do have that power struggle when we're arguing with them, like when we're yelling back and forth. We're saying, all right. This is like a battle between us. Let's see who's going to win. And like you were saying before, this isn't a battle. I'm the adult here. But at the same time, if you are the adult, we need to also act like the
0: adult. Well, and I, my husband is a loud human being. He shouts the Marine Corps. Just, that's how it is. But he and I talked about it a couple of years ago. And I pointed out to him that if they are throwing a temper tantrum and you are yelling at them, you have lost. They lost automatically when they decided to respond inappropriately. That's fine. But you are an adult and you are telling them to control themselves. As you were yelling at them, you lost and they won. I'm sorry. You really have. The minute I start yelling, I lost all control of the situation. I lost all ability to, and it sounds terrible, but I lose any credibility of calling you out your behavior while I am exhibiting terrible behavior.
1: It's funny that you say that because if you've noticed, and and granted, again, I don't have kids, but I have been around kids. I used to be an in-house nanny for a while. And I think it's funny because parents that have these quote unquote unruly children that never listen, oddly enough, listen to a stranger. Why do you think that is? because they know how to push mom and dad's buttons. They know where the boundary is. Mom and dad have conditioned them to yell because if they say it once in a calm voice and they don't listen, say it twice, they know that, okay, I can get away with whatever up until this point. Once they start yelling, I know that I'm done, Mm -hmm. right? But when they meet a stranger, oftentimes that kid is more cautious because they don't know the limits of this stranger. And, and parents used to say to me when I would watch kids and when I was a, a nanny, like, they're so well behaved around you. Why don't they act that way with me? Because they don't know my limits. And then whenever they find out my limits, it doesn't go as far as yours. They don't get away with the same stuff with me, you know?
0: Well, and I, I have a parenting phrase that I like to use because I don't like to say you're being bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you're being bad is a personalization of a behavior. A behavior is one person is a different thing. My child is not bad. My child is exhibiting poor behaviors, right? Doesn't make my child bad. I like to say, this is not how we are going to behave. I say it to toddlers. I say it, I say it to the toddlers that are in my life. Um, and there are a few toddlers, there's one in particular, and I love her spirit. She and I share the same spirit. Her response when you tell her no, or when she was like two and three, was I, when, when she didn't wanna do something, she would lay on the floor and say, I don't want to. Yes, absolutely, There's me as an adult, I don't want to. But my favorite thing to say to a very stubborn child is literally, this is not how we're going to behave. There's no room for argument. There's no, I have now set the expectation of this is where you're going to behave. And a lot of them kind of just look at you like, huh? I don't like, I don't know what to say. You didn't tell me. No, you didn't send me to my room. You just said, this is unacceptable. This is what we're going to do. If you want me to engage with you, if you want me to play, this is how we're going to behave. No idea how often that works. And it's, it works with people as adults. Because all you're doing when you say, this is not what we are going to do is you are setting your limit for behavior as a human being. This is my boundary. If you would like to engage with me, you'd like me to play on the swings with me, then you're not going to kick me. Right. Setting, setting those boundaries and letting them know, like,
1: because we can't control their behavior. They can, they're going to do what they're going to do. But if you say, I'm not going to tolerate this. Mm -hmm. If you do this, I'm not tolerating it. So here's the consequences or here's the action or
0: whatever. Um, And you would be surprised how often they don't even argue. It's just like, well, okay. Because playing with you or engaging with you is much more important than whatever negative behavior they were exhibiting is to them. They really do just want to engage. Now, I also want to state that what we're talking about is the general. There are outliers where you're a hole, and you didn't do anything to set that monster off. Just leave them in the floor and walk away. It is perfectly fine.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I always feel bad for moms because kids, I swear they wait until you're in Walmart to throw a hissy fit. And we've gotten as a society to where you're terrified to discipline your child in any way in a store. Um, And so you always see the mom that's just exhausted and the kids laying in the floor and she's trying to get them up. Mom, leave them there. They will be fine. We do not care. Let them have their hissy fit. I promise. It is okay. That is not a reflection of you. Chances are you just told them no, and they are responding and they are showing their personality. And when they're done, that's fine. Yeah.
1: I saw uh, one video of a parent, I I guess they were in Walmart. I think they're in Walmart, but the kids were in the toy section and the dad's like, no, we're not, we're not getting that. Put it back. I'm like, if you are going there just to get groceries, don't even go to the toy section.
0: If you're not, (laughs) yeah, don't go. If you're not planning. Other side of the store. And now Walmart has made my life easy. They have grocery stores. I don't ever have to see the toy section because, I have children. If I'm taking you to the toy section when you're small, chances are it's because I'm buying you something. My kids are now older and they will go, can we just go look? Do you recognize that I'm not buying you anything? Yes. It is in place before we walk there. I will not purchase anything. If you would like to make a purchase, you have your own money. If you brought it, great. If not, you can pay me when we get home. I will not. I am very, very big on I will not I will not do this. This is not what I am going to put up with because those are my boundaries. Right. Children have to learn. They have to learn how to interact with the world. But the biggest secret to interacting with the world is us respecting other people's boundaries and limits and us allowing other people to advocate for their needs and their wants. One of my favorite questions that I read at one point was as a parent, sometimes just sit down and ask your kid, what would you like to tell me about you that would help me be a better parent to you? Mm, yeah, I like that. And Jackson said nothing and then continued to look at his screen. And my daughter and I have a very interesting relationship. And so she shares a lot. Um, but she did say that I cut her off sometimes when she's talking. I'm sorry. Call me out when I do it. Respectfully. Right. But let me know when I'm doing that to you and I will try to change it. And I think parents don't want to admit to their kids that they're wrong. Cause I know my parents didn't, my parents were never wrong. They never did anything wrong. They never overreacted. Yeah. I don't like to have to apologize to people. That sounds terrible, but I hate having to apologize. It is not fun. I, recognize when I'm wrong to my own children and I've told them before it's like I'm doing my best to hold on to my patience because I don't like having to apologize to you and they think it's funny and they appreciate it because they recognize I'm not perfect when my mom screws up she is gonna say she's sorry the fact that she's trying really hard not to tell me she's sorry I should probably just go ahead and peace out that's, that's
1: like where it. our ego gets in the way right like
0: <laughs> it <you> is <laughs> Absolutely an ego thing, but an I'm sorry, a true I'm sorry should hurt a little bit because you recognize that you have hurt another individual. I don't want to emotionally hurt you. I don't want to emotionally upset you. So please stop pushing my buttons.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really good points because you're right. I mean, a lot of adults, even for me growing up, I thought they know everything because they present it as if they know everything. And I think part of that isn't necessarily because they want to present themselves as a know-it-all, but because they want to make us feel safe as kids and protected as kids. But uh, I remember as a kid, like I remember when the bird flew came and that was like a big scare. And yeah. so I'm freaking out. And my parents are like, it's fine. You're gonna be okay. You're not gonna get it. And I'm like, but what if it comes here? It's like, well we'll move somewhere into this remote place. Yeah. Even though they they probably wouldn't, but they were saying that because they knew that's what I wanted to hear to comfort me. Yeah. And just other things like just the fears that we have no control over as human beings. If there's like a nuclear bomb dropped on us you can't tell your kid it's going to be okay, even though you want to tell your kid it's going to be okay because you don't want them to be afraid. But, um, now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like they didn't know everything. And look at all these things that could have happened that could have went wrong. And yeah.
0: So you, you said something very important in that control. We can't control anything but ourselves. my son, Because of his autism, he will obsess about like things that could go wrong. Like, well, and the ocean is one of the things that he's played in his entire life, but he became obsessed about there being a a jellyfish in the ocean because the jellyfish wash up in the spring. Um, and that was his obsession. And I'm not going to promise you safety. I can't promise you that I can promise. I can tell you that you've been in the ocean a hundred times and it's never happened. What I can tell you is that if it does happen, you will be okay. It's going to hurt. We'll take care of it. We'll clean it. It's no different than if you scrape your knee when you're riding your bike. That worked. I am not a hero, and I don't, I don't need to be a hero to much. I need them to trust me enough to die for them, sure, but I don't have all the answers, and I'm not embarrassed to say that to them. I'm also not embarrassed to teach them that you can't control what's happening. I am raising children during a pandemic. I had to pandemic parent and it was not super fun, but I just kept reiterating that what you're feeling is a lack of control. Mm, Yeah. And the fear that comes with that. Oh yeah. There's a whole lot of fear in the unknown. We as people don't like to not be in control. And you as a child are no different and you have even less control than I as your parent do. And that's terrifying and frustrating, but it's also okay to accept that you cannot control the situation that you're in and make the best decisions that you can. And that is a repeating theme of conversation in this house is I can't control that. I would love to, I can't tell me how I can at least help you feel more comfortable.
1: For me, as an adult, because I always felt like I had control of everything or should should have control of everything growing up because I always thought that's the way that's the way it worked, right? And now that I am adult and I have accepted what I can't control, it's liberating. it really is you know with this pandemic, um, I didn't worry about my business, I didn't worry about. What if, what if I get it? Because I'm going to take the necessary precautions I need to, to try to prevent that. But if I'm doing everything that I can control to prevent that and I get it, then I get it. But I'm not going to stress out about it before it even happens. All
0: right.
1: Um, and I think so. I mean, how, how many times do kids, I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I had to get my vaccinations for school, my shots, I would worry about that for like months before. Like my parents would tell me your vaccinations are coming up and I would literally stress about it and lose sleep at night as a kid because I was concerned about it. And now, not saying that I, I stress about vaccinations, but the things like that, that I know something's coming up or you know it's gonna hurt if I have to go get my tooth drilled. I hate needles. I hate the numbing thing. But instead of thinking about it, I, it, I just wait till it gets there, and then it happens. And it's like it's it's not even that bad. Whenever you, the anxiety that comes with it and the worry is worse sometimes than the actual thing you're worried about.
0: I try to model oh, honesty. My daughter and I were driving at the very beginning of the quarantine, and everything here had closed. And I remember being in the front seat of my car, and we were driving through this city called Somerville. It's outside of Charleston. It's actually a fairly big city. It's fairly big. It's like Concord. Um, and we were driving down Main Street and it normally takes me, and I think the Walmart is like four, the Supercenter is like four miles from my house. It can take me 20 minutes to get there. It's ridiculous. We were driving through. We didn't have to stop. There was no traffic. and It's quiet. It is creepy quiet. And I remember looking in the rearview mirror and my daughter just has this look on her She's confused and she's scared and I can see it. And I remember recognizing that just not right feeling. And we had it after 9-11 because the world was not the same. We didn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't quite grasp the greatness of what was about to happen. I mean, I don't think a lot of us realized we'd be at war for a decade, but we knew the world was not the same. And we weren't nearly as safe as we thought we were. And I saw that look and I had her walk it out for me. I had her, she goes, I just feel wrong. This is just odd. And she was like, I don't feel okay. And I was like, the world's different, isn't it? She said, yes, but I don't understand. I was like, you just took a step into adulthood where you realize you can't control the situation. And the world right now feels unsafe. And it's okay. And I'm sorry that this happened to you. I'm sorry that you're 12 and it's all crashing down on your head. But just remember that you are okay in this moment. And I don't think she's been the same quite since. But allowing them to know that we as adults don't always feel safe. We are not always okay. We have to make it okay for them to be scared. We have to make it okay for them to not have the answers, to lose control. All of these things that we as adults do, we have to make it acceptable for them to do as well. It doesn't mean there are no consequences, but we have to show them that we feel the same way they do. They are not alone and they're not ridiculous. I love that.
1: And I think that is a perfect way to end this session because it just yeah, I love it.
0: It was pretty great summary.
1: yeah, that seemed like a very professional way to end, so I think i'm gonna I'm gonna let that be what closes it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to to be on this um, show slash podcast, and I really hope that parents now hearing something from another parent who has a background in psychology can understand like the direction I'm trying to go and not see me as a threat or see me as someone that is targeting them and labeling them as a bad parent. Because again, like you said, just because we know this stuff doesn't mean we're always going to enact it in our own homes, but doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, right? and we can't use that as like well you don't know the story so that's not reality because we create our reality and it may take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of facing our own personal challenges to create a different reality but you and i both know from our past although we had different experiences that we can change our behavior, which can change our future. There's so many things we can do to shift and it takes time. Approaching it with that compassion of it's okay to mess up. It's okay to take a few steps back as long as you're always trying to make progress going forward. That's the key we're all going to, none of us are perfect. All of us are flawed. Um, and I don't expect anyone to be perfect when I coach them and give them some suggestions or tell them what went wrong, what could have done been done better. I'm not saying that you should act that way all the time because that's not reality. I'm just giving you the tools. I need to embody that and model that myself for my clients.
0: It's really, really hard to be a parent in this world because it's almost like the world wants us to be perfect. And I think maybe with the mom that had such a strong reaction is it's the response to, I'm supposed to be perfect. Maybe this mom is just having a bad moment. And we all have them. We as parents just have to be willing to acknowledge them, not to the world, to the child. And that I didn't do this right. Here's how I'm going to do this next time. And we teach them that accountability. We also validate